Hi I'm Shweta your host for Science with Shweta podcast and before we begin here's a word from our sponsor Today's episode is sponsored by Droid to Know It Droid to Know It helps you master medical and biological sciences through clean diagrams and clear explanations Droid to Know It makes learning more efficient and engaging through drawings in a stepwise manner and narrated tutorials. You can also take quizzes and exams for quick review of key concepts and also learn through flashcards and clinical correlation. Visit Droid to Know It website today and subscribe using our code SWS25 to get 25% off on any subscription. The link to the website and the code are available in the show notes. Hi I'm Shweta your host for Science with Shweta podcast thank you for listening and hope you're enjoying today joining us is Sara Miller Sara has completed her bachelor's in biomedical science at Victoria University she is currently a research assistant in the single molecule science lab at the University of New South Wales in Australia her research focuses on adoptive T cell therapy in a model of B cell lymphoma let's talk to Sara and know more about her hi Sara and thank you for joining us hi shweta thank you for having me it's great i've been really looking forward to having a podcast interview with you and finally here we are uh, yes on earth it's been a little bit hard to get us both in the same time yeah so like uh, what got you interested in this field like you always wanted to study this or you discovered this during your bachelor's um well during my bachelor's you could do um a course like a research based course for one semester Mm-hmm. So I did that because I thought that sounds like a fun idea at the time. And for that it was just a 6 month kind of research project and that was based on um kind of a lot of cell work mm-hmm. and just manipulating a couple of receptors in cells and doing a lot of western blot and as everyone who western blot knows that's not a very fun thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um sometimes so I kind of discovered that I didn't really like working with just cells as a singular kind of organism like I like to learn about like the whole body body picture and um as this research that nowadays most of the funding tends to go to things that are that are in the media and in the public eye and that is cancer so I found a research lab that was doing a little bit of cancer research but they were they were kind of focused on other aspects of cancer research um and and other aspects of um the they sort of weren't focused on immunology mm-hmm. as much it was sort of they were focused on the nervous system and how the cancer reagent reacted with the uh nervous system mm-hmm. so i kind of went into that lab and i was like look i'm really interested in the the cancer aspect of your of your research but um i really like immunology too like that's what i was really like during my um undergrad and from doing that research uh subject I discovered that I didn't just want to work with cells so I also had a lab that kind of did other things as well um and was in animals and I found that that that's where my passion for uh, cancer research and immunology really started but that's great so like after this uh, one semester of research work you just uh, continued into that uh, area of your work yeah pretty much yeah yeah 
uh, I wanted to know that uh, you're working as a research assistant. So is it same as as doing a PhD uh, degree or uh, it is something different? Um, it's it's slightly different. Uh, being a research assistant, uh, you as a PhD student, you kind of feel like I guess you, you get your own project and and that that's what you focus most of your time and effort on. Mm-hmm. As a research assistant, I do have my own project, luckily in this in this lab. But you also, um, I have to focus on other things as well, like some admin type roles as well that I have. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't get to focus as heavily as what I used to on the research, and uh, some of my time has to go to admin lab stuff that needs to happen to keep the lab running smoothly. Okay, so I think this is also great. Yep. So uh, that's great, Sarah. So can you tell us uh, in brief about your current research project you're working on? Um, so currently, um, my research is focusing on um, adoptive T-cell therapy, mm-hmm. uh, which is a form of like personalized medicine where um, you take T-cells out of the, the patient's body and you find um, CTLs normally. So um, CTLs are cytotoxic T lymphocytes. They're the ones that will kill cancer, for instance. So you take them out of the patient's body, expand them in the lab so that you've got a lot of these cells that will kill cancers, and then you inject them back into the person. So suddenly they've got 10 times the amount of cells that would kill cancer than what they had before. And um, so my research is focusing on a model of lymphoma that we've got in um, a mouse model. And what uh, other scientists have found is that um, when you inject these T cells back into uh, our mouse model at different time points, um, sometimes the T cells will have different functions. So if you inject the T cells into this mouse model um, at an early time point, which is supposed to be like a early stage cancer mm-hmm. and less tumor load, it's called you will um, see that your T-cells, the ones that are supposed to kill the cancer, will function normally and they will still go about killing the cancer. However, if you inject these T-cells back into this mouse model at a later time point, which is supposed to be like uh, your late-stage cancer, mm-hmm. um, you actually find that the T-cells stop functioning normally. They'll stop killing your um your cancer cells, so therefore um, we call them exhausted because they still have some normal functions, but they won't kill cancer cells. So my research focuses on um, a making these exhausted T cells because it's not easy, and then figuring out why they become exhausted, and when they're exhausted, if we can turn them back into normal functioning T cells. Okay, so. Um... Like after you get uh, get uh, detailed study about this, then what are like uh, possible future applications? Like, is it possible that we can then discover some novel therapies or uh, like immunotherapy for that matter? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, this is all all relatively new, exhausted tissue kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So eventually, the plan is that it will you can engineer. T cells out of out of any person or organism to to not become exhausted. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that once we figure out what makes them exhausted, we take them into a lab, 
do what we have to do to the T cells and engineer them so no matter how much tumor load or cancer cells they come across, they still will just kill them instead of just ignoring them like they sometimes do now. I think this uh, research has great uh, potential application and it's quite interesting because if we are able to do this, then we'll be able to find at least some cure for cancer. Yes, yes. So eventually, you know, finding a cure for cancer is, is what anybody would want. But um, yeah. anything to to make the cancer therapies less harmful, I guess, than what mm-hmm. they are now is always going to be a good thing. Yeah. So, like, uh, what is your favorite aspect of your research? What do you enjoy very much while, you know, working in the lab or about your topic? Um, so, I I thoroughly enjoy um, working with a mouse model. I really like seeing how, um, how doing different things to these animals, um, it will, how it affects the whole body. Mm-hmm. Um and I also really like uh, the cell culture aspect, how you can take cells out of the, the normal um, living state. So I take cells out of the spleen and you can just start culturing them and growing them um, in a lab and they're perfectly happy and they act like they would as if they're inside mm-hmm. their um, organism that they came from. Yeah. And so, like, uh, when you started first, were you, uh, like, a bit of scared working with uh, mouse models or something like that? Because I had people in my lab. So, earlier they hadn't uh, worked with, um, uh, like, animal models for that uh, matter, for example. And suddenly then they had to uh, shift towards working with mouse. So, like, were you anxious before, for the first time when you handled I suppose I was a little bit anxious, but I'm I'm really like I'm an animal lover, which uh-huh. is is kind of a, I know it's a bit contrary to what you think about when you do research, but you find that I find the best people to work with the mice and animals in research actually have to really like animals generally. So I'm a big animal lover, and I um don't I'm not I wasn't really scared of them. I was a bit apprehensive because I've never really had a mouse before, so I didn't really know what it was going to do. Uh-huh. But now it's just like second nature to me. You know, um, mice respond a lot to, or any animal responds a lot to how you feel and how you approach them. So when I'm training people how to work with mice, I tend to say, look, you know, don't don't be scared of it. Don't be anxious around it because they're going to come off those vibes and then they're going to get anxious and they're going to get a bit jumpy. So better if you go in there with a bit of confidence. Yeah, because it's always, you know, a bit difficult if you're not that uh, animal lover or maybe if you're afraid of them. And so I think you also have to be prepared mentally to be working with them. Yeah, look, mentally there is a a mental struggle at the Uh start to get past a little bit of what you're doing with you know animals. I understand why they're why they're there and it's necessary for us to get further in the research. But yes, if you're going to work with animals, do not be scared of them because they just make life so much harder. They they won't do what you want them to do and it will be a struggle, trust me. Yeah. So, uh, like, uh, you, you know, you have a very hectic schedule. You have to work uh, from morning till evening in lab. So, what challenges did you face when you uh, first started and uh, how do you overcome them? Like, every day you have some experiments which will work, which will, some will fail. So, how do you deal with it? Um, 
Well, it took me a little while when I first started research, when I first did my um, postgraduate like masters, but um, to get used to working in a, a lab environment because it is a little bit different. And I've only ever worked in what's called in Australia a PC2 lab. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, we have different ratings for our labs. So we have PC1, which is a lab that you can basically walk in and you just have to put gloves on. So there's nothing in there that's super harmful that's going to really hurt you in any way. So they're pretty chill in those sort of labs. So I've worked in a PC2 lab, which is the ones where you have to wear a lab coat and you have to wear gloves and safety goggles and stuff because there are certain things that are harmful, but not everything is that harmful in there. So that was a bit of a, a learning curve to get used to walking into an environment where you had to, you know, suddenly put on a lab coat, put on gloves before you could touch anything. Um, I remember a couple of times I've just walked straight out of the lab with a lab coat on mm-hmm. into the offices. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a, that's always fun. Um, as far as like, is like experiments, I find that you have to be very organized, um, try and plan things beforehand. So you make sure you've got your emergency, make sure that you've got your time planned out. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing it like a quite a long experiment, I tend to make a table with everything that I have to do in that day and take it off, especially, um, when it gets late and I'm probably tired and I'm not as mentally there as what I was in the morning. So I find that really helps. Since I finished my postgraduate study um, and my master's, so I kind of set my hours for what I work and I like to keep within those hours um, so that I, I have a routine. So, you know, I get to the lab at a certain time, I leave at a certain time, and then I can go home and I can relax and I can do what I want to do and not have to worry about what's going on in the lab, which can be hard to do when you're doing, like, your master's or your PhD. Mm-hmm. But I, I highly recommend trying to get into that sort of routine. Yeah. So uh, having said that, uh, when you're not in the lab, what do you really like to do? What do you enjoy? Um, I thoroughly enjoy going to the, to the movies with my partner, going mm-hmm. to the cinemas. Love cinema popcorn. The best <laughs> thing. Um, uh, so like, I, I go see any of the new movies that come out. Mm-hmm. I also really enjoy like uh, reading. Um, I try and read before I go to work and when I come home on the buses and public transport that I take, just to switch off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I'm home, I like to play with my dog, but he's he currently he's in a different state. I mean, it's a bit hard to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those, those are the main things that I like to do outside of the lab. Mm-hmm. Have a little bit more of a life than just living, you know, in a lab coat all the time. Okay. So, uh, Sarah, you have you're very uh, you know engaged engaged psychomer, and uh, you have your uh, Instagram page. So, how did you get into science communication, and why do you think it is really important that more and more people start communicating science? Uh, well, I um I got into my Instagram page um because one of my friends um who's also on Instagram. Um, uh, neuroscience with Ness. Mm-hmm. She, we both did our um, PhD and masters together, so she's a good friend of mine. And she was the one who one day was like, "You should just start an Instagram science page," because she had already done it and she found success with it. And I um, was really enjoy doing it, and I was like, "You know what? I think I should." So 
after that conversation, that uh, when I got on and I started, and with most things, it took a couple of weeks to kind of figure out what you wanted to put on Instagram and to find your feet and to find, you know, uh, what you wanted to put out there. Um, but I think I've got a handle on it now, hopefully. But, you know, social media is a changing thing. And But um, as far as why it's important, um, social media, especially for younger generations and even our generation, is become very important. It's our, it's our new way of, of communicating as if that we do. Um, you know, you'll find it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Everything goes on these different social media sites. And um, I also, like, you know, I find it's a good way to, to find out what other people are doing as well and keep up with the science throughout the world. So you're not just limited to talking to the people around you, but I can talk to you in India or someone else across the other side of the world very easily nowadays so it's a, it's a good way of keeping up with what research is out there as well as well as just you know showing people normal people who aren't in science mm-hmm. what uh, what scientists and researchers actually do which is nothing like what they do in the movies yeah I think this is the most important point what uh, I've talked with so many people and they always say that it is nothing like what people imagine or uh, what no, others think of life is to be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I grew up on CSI and, and TV shows like that. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yes, we can get DNA in 30 seconds. Well, I actually learned how you got DNA. I was like, how do they do this so quickly on TV? I can't do it in 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, not but, fun, yeah. yeah. And also, yeah, like you said, we get to connect. Uh, with so many people and we get to know what others are doing what kind of research is uh, going on yeah exactly i have i have so many friends across the world um you now just that i've met through instagram because we have the same interests outside of science and we're doing similar things in science and it's it's just nice to connect with people everywhere and, and, and learn that you're not you don't have to feel so alone in this big science world you know yeah it's good that we are, you know, making such good uh, use of Instagram. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Sarah, many uh, people from India, like most of the students uh, like to come to Australia. Like Australia is one of the top three destinations where Indian students go for their uh, further studies, like master's or PhD. So, like, uh, would you like to give some, uh, you know, uh, tips or advice to the Indian students or, like, what are the requirements if they want to get into, for uh, like, be a research assistant or PhD or for master's? Like, do you have any general idea, like, they should have so many publications or, like, what's the benchmark which needs to be there? Um, look, uh, we have quite a, like, I work with quite a few international students, um, mm-hmm. And I find uh, a lot of it is um, reach, find some research that you like and that you're really passionate about and, and reach out to, to the head researcher or the main researcher in, in that lab and um, ask them about the requirements. Cause I, I found in Australia that, as you said, lots of students do come here and do their research degrees. So, uh, you'll actually find that it's not unusual for your um, supervisors or the lab heads to to actually just be 
tell you exactly what you need, what they want from you mm-hmm. um, to get into the PhD program there. Um, I also find uh, persistence is a great thing and so is enthusiasm. Yeah. Uh, so if you're, if you're a bit persistent and very enthusiastic, that also goes a long way um, in impressing some academics and stuff. So as far as papers go, mm-hmm. the, the numbers just keep going up and up every year. I think if you can come out of uh, any degree with at least one first author paper, um, that is a great start, and that that will get you into a, get you through a lot of doors with a lot of people over here. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't need to have a ton of papers as well. Um, a lot of it can just be that you know you reach out to them and you've got skills that they're looking for, so they're willing to take a chance and bring you like let you come over here and work in their lab type thing. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, having a paper published is a plus point, but it's not mandatory. Oh, no, it's it's not mandatory. Mm-hmm. Um, for for Australians going into, like, a, a PhD program, not international students, we we do a year of research um, called an honours year here. And as long as you get good marks in that, you don't even have to have a paper published and you can generally get into a PhD or master's program. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if you have a paper published um, and you want to get like a scholarship, that's where it really makes you stand out from other people. Yeah. Uh, securing a scholarship is also very important because you do need funding for your project and uh, for carrying out your other expenses. Oh, 100%. And look, <laughs> sorry to all the people who want to come to Australia, but it is an expensive place. So you do need a scholarship. <laughs> So, like, uh, it's always good to have a scholarship because I, I think for Australia and anywhere you go, because uh, research is not, like, for two years or three years. It's, like, until it goes. Of course, there's a limit, like, three years or five years. But then it's always good if your expenses are being taken care of so that all you have to do is focus on your studies. Yeah. And, look, uh, all of, not all, but a lot of the PhD students that we have in, in our lab currently um they they are on a scholarship, which is great, but uh, it's still not a lot of money. It, it really does help out, but a lot of them also have got like a, a little part-time job type thing where they actually demonstrate at the university as well to earn some extra money. Mm-hmm. So it, look, it's great to have a scholarship, but um, it, it's not going to be a lot of money yeah. as well. So you know, if you if you are looking to move internationally, it's probably worth saving a little bit as well just to have some money on the side. Yeah. So uh, you just now mentioned that uh, you have a dog and uh, you you love animals. So I would like to know that yes. you would uh, like to ask three questions to your dog. What would they be? Like if we could answer them back to oh. you, what you would desperately want to ask him? Oh, oh God. Okay. That's a hard one. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just want to do it. Okay. Three questions. Um, I would probably ask you if you like living with us when when I was at home. If you like living at home with us, mm-hmm. um, I would ask. So my dog, um, he he has this weird trait where if you open a car door, he just gets in the car, mm-hmm. and if you um, if you start the car up and you start moving, then he starts to whine. 
But as long as the car's not moving, he'll happily just sit in the car all day. Okay. So I would definitely ask him about that and why he doesn't like the car moving. But he's happy if it's just stationary. Okay. Um, and lastly, I'd probably ask him what he wants to eat so mm-hmm. that he can have a choice for once. Yeah. So uh, what is a great book which you have uh, recently read? Or are you reading one right now? Um, I finished uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, one that was actually recommended to me or someone um, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's called, it was called Vox. And um, it, it's a bit of a dystopian one. It's a bit, have you heard of the series The Handmaid's Tale? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, okay. Uh, well, if you, if you want to look up a good series, that one is a good series, TV series. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a bit dystopian where uh, women have only been given 100 words a day to say uh-huh. and men have basically taken over government so you know women aren't supposed to work they're supposed to be homemakers and stuff mm-hmm. and it's it focuses around a scientist and how she deals with life only being able to say 100 words a day and then certain things happen um during the plot line and it um the end something very significant happens and changes everything so I'm not going to give it away but it's quite a good book i i think i must read it then <laughs> fair enough <laughs> So, um, like, if you were not into research, what do you think? Uh, which profession would you have, would you have attempted then? Um, if I wasn't into research, mm-hmm. I would probably have gone into something like event management or event planning, uh, because I thoroughly enjoy like making lists and organizing things, and you know, putting things in certain places and making making sure people are happy. So I'd probably go into like party planning, event planning. Mm-hmm. If that fails, um, I would go into like the nail business because I thoroughly enjoy just painting my nails and making them sparkly and pretty. Uh-huh. I, I have seen some of your posts on that and they are amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, as I said, I thoroughly enjoy painting my nails and making them Luckily, I am a big fan of Simply Neurological on YouTube and anything that is holographic. So that's why you'll see on my Instagram that my nails are always got some sort of sparkle on them. Mm-hmm. I'm like a magpie, I like things. Okay. Yeah. So like uh, while we were talking before, you mentioned that you like to watch series. So like any of your favorites or what you're currently watching? Uh, as I mentioned before, I love The Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. Great TV series for anyone who is watching it. Um, I also, I've, I'm really into like reality TV at the moment, so I thoroughly enjoy Survivor, especially the Australian version of Survivor at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like watching um, like some documentaries that are on Netflix mm-hmm. um, that are about um, sort of cults, I guess and religious kind of groups like there's one on Netflix that I really enjoyed called um Wild Wild Country mm-hmm. and that that's a great documentary um that's about a religious group that uh, originally started in India and then they moved their their group to America and what happened there mm-hmm. um and I also really enjoy true crime 
that can be anything based off true crime. So the second season of um, uh, what's it called? Oh, Mind. Second season of Mindhunter has just started on Netflix here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I can't wait to watch that one after I finish this. Yeah. So uh, would you like to add anything? Or you want our listeners to know? Um, just look if you if you really want to get into science and for some reason you are having trouble getting into science, um, there's something stopping you. Don't, don't, don't let it stop you forever. Um, persistence is a lot of, of what research is, just doing the same thing or similar things again and again and again to try and get the desired result that you want. So just, just keep at it and eventually, you know, doors will open up and, and you'll get to where you want to be in the end. Yeah. I think keep on going. That is the main important. You should never give up. Totally agree. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your science journey with us. You are amazing. And I really enjoyed chatting with you. If you Thank you for having me, Shara. Yeah, it is always a pleasure to connect people with all over the world. And I was really looking forward to chat with you. So I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. So if you want to connect with Sarah, you can contact her on her social media. The links will be available in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or want to connect with us, you can contact us. Thank you for listening Science with Shweta podcast.